We'll be in Genesis chapter 2 this morning as we're going through this book on Sunday mornings. The last two weeks we've been considering some thoughts surrounding the creation of Adam and Eve, the first husband and wife. And we've considered what singles need to do and to consider as they look for a spouse. Genesis chapter 2, let's read again this week, verses 18 through 25. The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the fowls of the air, to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Amen. Well, we've packed a lot into the last two weeks. If you've missed it, please take the time to listen to what we've covered. Uh, Too much to recap. I want to remind you of this, though. God saw Adam's need before Adam knew there was a need. God was going to be the one to fill the need that he saw Adam had. And Adam was going to have to trust God in his choice for him. God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. God made woman from a rib that he had taken from Adam's side, which was close to Adam's heart. God then brought the woman to Adam, and Adam said of her, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Meaning this, Adam knew that she was an extension of him. She had been taken from him. And so he understood the significance of this. And those who God calls into marriage, the husband will find his completion by keeping his wife close to his side, near to his heart. And for the wife, she will find fulfillment in life being at his side, for from his side she was taken. What about those God never calls into marriage? Well, I was married at 18, so I recognize I'm not the best to give you my advice. But I know from the Bible that those who God calls to remain single, they have been gifted by God in a very special way. They've learned to walk so closely with the Lord that He becomes all they need in this life. They end up having a more intimate walk with God, the Bible says, for the kingdom of heaven's sake. If you'll study Matthew 19, verses 3 through 12, um, and really focus on verses 10 through 12, you'll see what I mean. Now, as we begin today, after Adam looked at the woman, and he said, "'Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh,' we get a commentary in verse 24 of what this is supposed to look like. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife 
and they shall be one flesh. Verse 24 begins with therefore. Because of what we just learned in verse 23, that she was bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, this is stated to the man. There may be some significance that it's stated to the man as the leader of the home. I don't know. And so I believe that even though the man is being addressed, it also applies to the wife. A wife should leave her father and mother. Because if you're going to be one flesh, you have to leave and cleave. And so while Adam had no say on the matter on who he was going to marry, how'd you like that, guys? (laughs) Who God had for him was the right choice. And so as Adam makes this declaration, we find out here in the Bible, and and some think this might even be Adam speaking. I personally don't think that's the case. Um, I think we're just getting a a commentary here of what it's supposed to mean. And so they are to, to leave, cleave, be one flesh... And right away we learn that marriage between one man and one woman is to be stronger than the bond between parents and children. So strong that those two become one flesh. And as parents, we need to come to terms with this. Because as much as we may want our children to hang around and be at the center of our lives and in our home and all those things, there's coming a day we have to learn to let them go. Some parents really struggle with this. It usually results from their own distressed childhood that they went through. And in their zeal for the family unit that God has given them with their children, they inadvertently end up doing more harm than good, never raising them for the day that they're going to leave. And sometimes the guilt has been so bad upon the child that they never got married. I don't know who that's for, but you got to learn, let your kids grow up. It does not mean that you grow apart. It does not mean that you forsake your parents but it means that we allow the bond to develop between a husband and a wife greater than God has allowed that bond to be between parent and child. If we'll understand this, then we'll raise our children knowing the day is likely coming that God is going to bring somebody into their life and they're going to look at that person with more love than they do you. But I raised you. (laughs) God is bringing someone into their life that they are going to need more than that parental relationship that they had. There's needs you can't meet any longer. Therefore, we should first train our children to love the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then understand that God's will may take them away from us physically. I remember standing in the driveway at my parents' house when I was 21 years old. I had just returned from a tour to South Korea. And I told my dad, I said, Dad, I I think God may be calling me to South Korea. Looking back, it was more of a burden than a call. But I remember my dad said this to me. He said, Son, I'd rather you be 10,000 miles away and in the will of God than to be right here and outside of God's will. 
And that's raising your children to know you love the Lord and you put Him first. Now let me give you some, uh, some practical helps here because we need to understand that this is God's way. We need to embrace it. We need to plan for it. We just need to deal with the fact that as parents, this day is coming for us. So I want to give you some practical considerations. To our parents, I would say, when your child gets married, you need to allow them to be married without your continual interference. I'm not saying not to be a help. But let them seek you out for that help. Allow her husband to be the head of that house. And allow that wife to be the keeper of their home. Now, obviously, if it's something illegal, immoral, unethical, yes. We, we need to make sure we're getting involved. That's a different story. Otherwise, let them learn how to be married. Allow them to grow closer to each other. Allow them to grow closer to each other than they are to you. They need to learn to rely on God and each other. Yeah, but they're doing things different. Well, yeah, but they're, they're doing this wrong. And, and they're, they're, they're making mistakes along the way. That may be true. But you're no longer the authority in that home. They've left you and they are now cleaving to each other. It's no longer your responsibility. Nor is it your place to bull your way into that relationship to make your presence known and felt. Don't take control of another person's marriage. Moms, you need to cut the apron strings. There's nothing more emasculating for a man than a mom that wants to go behind him and wipe his nose all the time. <laughs> and dads, when you transfer that authority to that 18-year-old man, <laughs> you have to allow him to become the authority in her life. It is a newly established home. And we just need to know, look, there's going to be things that they're going to do different than you. There's things that I'm sure Sydney looks at now and goes, that was stupid. They have a dog in the house. That's insane. <laughs> they're going to do things different. And that's okay. We just need to know that. Um, it doesn't mean necessarily that they're doing something wrong. You say, well, I think they are doing something wrong. Maybe they are. But listen, there's some things you just have to learn. You just have to learn. Learn to allow them to work out their issues on their own. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to learn along the way. Now, to the married children, I would tell you, don't run to your parents with every little thing that you don't like that they do. Every time you have a disagreement, don't go run into your mom. If there's some form of abuse in the home, then yes. You find and you seek out and you get help. You say something. If somebody's running around on you, something like that, listen, bring it up. I'm not talking about those kind of, I hope you know my heart. But if you have an argument, don't go run into mama or daddy. Don't go run into mama and daddy for sympathy. If mistakes are made by your spouse that you don't agree with, don't go running to your parents. 
In fact, don't even go running to your friends. But learn to deal with problems in your marriage as husband and wife. By all means, seek counsel where you must. That's why God gave you godly parents. That's why He gave you elders that have been through that. That's why He gave you pastors and teachers to help you through things. But for the most part, you ought to just keep things between you and your wife. We made sure Sydney knew when she got married, don't come running to us with every little problem. Don't air your dirty laundry out for everybody to see. That's good for anybody. Of course, I told Grant, you beat my daughter, I will kill you. And I've seen enough forensic files to get away with it. As parents, we must learn to let them leave and cleave. It's God's way. And we have to use whatever time God gives us with our children to prepare them for, for, for this fact. It, it may not happen for some. Statistically speaking, it will happen. And so we need to prepare them to have a close walk with God and then understand that they will likely be leaving us to cleave to another. To leave here, it means to place space between. To cleave means there's no space between. Therefore, when you leave father and mother, there's now supposed to be some space between you and them. We have about a 1,500-mile buffer from our parents. That's not why I'm in South Dakota, okay? But that's just... uh, There's to be space in between. There's a great gulf fixed, amen? Okay, anyway. You are setting yourself apart from them and you're giving yourself to another. When you cleave to your spouse, you're to be so close to them that there's no space between you. You're to be like bark on a tree. That's how close you need to be with your spouse. And this means as husband and wife, get this now, when you cleave to one another, there's no space for anybody else of the opposite sex. You're cleaving. Don't you allow another to enter in. Matthew 19, I mentioned earlier, here's a few of those verses, verses 4 through 6. And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read, this is Jesus speaking, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and they shall cleave, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. What does that mean? Don't let there be space. You're to cleave. And so God, Jesus here is saying, don't allow space in between you and your spouse by somebody else getting into the mix. Don't allow some other earthly relationship to drive a wedge in your marriage relationship. Now I want to try and help you, and I know this is old-fashioned. But it is what it is. Listen, you should never find yourself alone with someone of the opposite sex. I know it happens at work sometimes. You can't avoid it sometimes. I get it. But listen, your goal ought to be zero time alone with somebody of the opposite sex. Did you know 60% of all affairs begin at work? 60%. Always try to limit time alone with somebody else like that, somebody of the opposite sex. No coffee alone. No hanging out alone. No chat rooms alone. 
No meetings alone. No closed doors alone. No matter how innocent it may seem at first, don't go there. Well, she was going through such a rough time and she just needed a shoulder to cry on. Be careful. Well, his wife just left him and he just needed somebody to listen to him. Be careful. Listen, don't share your heart with another. And by that I mean don't become emotionally vulnerable to somebody of the opposite sex. Ladies, if your husband is not meeting your needs emotionally, then the Lord ought to be the one who's meeting that need. Amen. That's good preaching. Don't you turn to another man. Believe it or not, most affairs do not begin. Of course, it's changing in our day of social media where you can just text and hook up. But believe it or not, even so, most affairs don't begin with just strictly physical desires. There is usually an emotional connection that takes place that then turns into a physical intimacy. Somewhere in the marriage, the emotional connection got lost and now that needs being met somewhere else and it's led to the physical attraction. So you've got to be careful. You've got to guard yourself. And we do that by cleaving to our spouse. Outside of the Lord, your spouse should be the most important relationship you have upon this earth. Even more important than your children. You're to be so close, the Bible says you're to be one flesh. All of your emotional needs, all of your physical needs are designed by God to be met by them. Talking about humanly speaking. In the area of our physical needs, the Bible says we're not to defraud one another, but we are to render due benevolence. Does everybody know what I'm talking about here on physical needs? Don't defraud them. But you render unto them that need that they have physically. It's really part of the reason why you got married. You could have been friends with anybody and not been married. All right, well, we're all independent fundamental Baptists who never talk about anything other than... uh, All right. 1 Corinthians 7, 2-5, Paul wrote, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one another, except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Now, there's no set interval, okay? Your, Your marital flame burns different than another. Every couple has their flame, but don't let that flame go out. Listen, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Satan knows. Don't be so foolish also that you are withholding physical intimacy from your spouse as some form of punishment. Don't be foolish. Don't do that. But you cleave to one another. You become one flesh. God has designed you to have your physical needs met by your spouse. And we must be mindful of verse 24 here in Genesis chapter 2 because... Our marriages are supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church. The church is the bride of Christ. 
Ephesians 5, verses 30 through 32, For we are members of His body, and of His flesh, and of His bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Jesus, he, just as Jesus and the church are one flesh, notice what it said there, it said, of his flesh and of his bones. That sure sounds like what we just read in our text. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Christ is the head, we are the body. So we are to be one flesh with our spouse because the world needs to see a picture of Christ and His church. You say, well, I don't understand that. Paul said, I'm speaking to you a great mystery here. And so we're, we're to be one, cleaving one flesh so that the world can see there's something different about them. That opens the door for us to share Christ. They need to see Christ in the church in our marriage. Well, Christ doesn't go around bad-mouthing His bride. And His bride doesn't go around bad-mouthing her husband. Christ doesn't run us down. We certainly don't run Him down. Therefore, with a husband and wife being the picture of Christ in the church, we should never shame, humiliate, disgrace our spouse before others. Ladies, don't get together and just start running down your men. I really have never seen guys have a problem with this. I'm sure they do. But honestly, every gathering I've ever been a part of, men actually praise their wives a lot. It's like they know they wouldn't have got to that size if they didn't have their wife. I don't know what it is. But but listen, it goes for the man too. We shouldn't get together and have a competition on who has the worst husband or who has the worst wife. You ought to see my wife. That, that girl can nag. You think your wife can nag. Well, you should see my husband. You think your husband's a good bowler. My husband bowls every night of the week. He ain't never. Listen, don't run down your spouse to others. As Christ loved the church, so are husbands to love their own wife. Husbands are to nourish and to cherish their wife, even as the Lord, the church. And, and wives... The Bible says, see that you reverence or respect your husband. Wives are to submit themselves unto their own husbands as unto the Lord. What are we getting at here? The church, we as Liberty Baptist Tabernacle, we're not bucking against Christ's leadership. And so a wife isn't to buck against her husband's leadership unless we're starting to talk illegal, immoral, unethical The world should be able to observe our marriages and see something unique. And hopefully it will lead to an an inquiry to where we get to share the Lord Jesus Christ with them. And so therefore, when we talk about cleaving, leaving and cleaving, this is really important to God because He bled and died for the church. And so how did He intend for the church to be pictured in the world? It was through the husband and wife relationship that He instituted before the church. Very interesting. But sadly, as we all know, there are times when a husband and wife begin to drift apart. They stop honoring each other and submitting to each other in the fear of God. They begin to forsake their marriage vows. They stop cleaving. They allow space to come in between each other. Last week was Super Bowl Sunday. 
I don't know how many of you heard of what happened there at the Super Bowl. That's American football, Breck. Um, I'm not surprised. Um, there were these two men at the game, and one had really good seats. And one man was way up high in the nosebleed section. And um, the man with the seat way up high, he, he noticed that the man with the great seats had about eight to ten seats around him that remained empty during the beginning of the game. And the man with the seats way up high, he got curious about this, and he thought it was strange that at such a popular sporting event that this many seats would remain empty. So he keeps watching, and nobody sits there. It's after halftime. Nobody's still sitting there, and he finally decided to go down and to find out what the deal is. He worked up enough courage because you know what he wants to do. And, and so he worked up enough courage to get down there to these very expensive seats and find out if maybe he could sit there. And so he, he came to the man with the empty seats. He taps him on the shoulder, and he said, Sir, I noticed that the seats around you have been empty during the game. The guy looked up, and he said, Yeah. Well, the man who had come down, he said, well, sir, I hope you don't think I'm being too presumptuous here, but I've been sitting way up there, and these seats are empty down here, and I thought I would come down and ask if the seat next to you is taken. And the man said, well, this is my wife's seat. And he replied, oh, where is she? I haven't noticed her. And the man said, well, she died recently. And the other man said, I'm so sorry to hear that. But he was persistent, and he said, well, what about these other seats around? Why are they empty? And he said, well, they belong to family as well. And he goes, oh, did they die too? And he said, no, they're at her funeral today. Okay, that didn't happen. Um, did y'all really think that was a real story? Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, that exaggerated illustration, which was all made up, it, it does highlight what has become true in some marriages. The things of this world and other people have become more of a priority than a spouse's marriage. Now, what is it that causes a person to lose interest in their spouse? What causes a person to stop celebrating their marriage? Why do other things end up taking priority? What, what goes wrong? Problems in marriage begin when you stop seeing your spouse as being bone of your bones and flesh of your flesh and you stop cleaving to them and you allow space to begin to enter in into the relationship and you've stopped becoming one flesh. And it can be any number of things. It can be selfish things like trying to live in the past like you're still a teenager or in college. Let it go, bro. You're not that cool anymore. You can allow hobbies to drive a wedge in between you and your spouse because you're spending all of your time in this one interest when your spouse ought to be your main interest. It can inadvertently happen through well-meaning things like having a successful career. But if you're not careful, you can marry yourself to your career. It all started because you wanted to provide for your family, but over time, man, that became your drive. And you get so engrossed with that that you end up marrying yourself to your job. 
Even serving in the ministry can drive a wedge between two people if they're not careful. Because they are exhausting themselves on other people and now they have nothing left for each other. And if you want your marriage to flourish, then you have to recognize the truth here of Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. You have to prioritize your marriage. Make time to date your spouse. Well, we don't have the money. Then manage your money better. Because you need to be together. Get a babysitter and go out to eat together. Turn the phones off with no distractions. Get a booth. Sit across from her and just look at her. Do something together. Or you can be that weird couple that sits at a booth on the same side. How many of you are that weird couple? All right, James and Lori, Thad and Aaron. All right, Sarah and John. Tiffany and Ken. All right, they are under parole. Under probation, whatever the term is. Weirdos, amen. But listen, you need to spend time together. Turn the stuff off for crying out loud. Go for a drive together. We did that the other night. Adrian said, well, let's go take a drive and talk about all this church stuff that was going on, which we did. And it was fun for about, (laughs) anyway. um, (laughs) Until we started talking about all the church stuff, and then it was no longer fun. Listen, take a trip together. Let your wife know she's the most important thing in your life. Take her somewhere. Look, whatever, just cleave to your spouse. It's so sad when two people who said I do begin to drift apart. And some, they even stay married, but they become nothing more than a gardener and a maid living under the same roof who share an address. But they no longer share in each other. They're no longer one flesh. And the husband goes off privately somewhere to indulge in all kind of visual sinfulness. And the wife is over here somewhere reading some trashy romance novel dreaming of her knight in shining armor. I've seen it. I can spot the man from a mile away. He's got the thousand yard stare. He's not there. How's it going? Oh, pretty good. Uh, he's just watching TV. He's, he's learned just to completely tune her out. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I just got up in somebody's living room right there. But, um, but, but listen, they're no longer one flesh. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not trying to drag up anybody's past hurts. Please know my heart. If you've been through the pain of a divorce, I want you to know you are not a second-class citizen. You are loved here. We want to minister to your needs. We want to help you through. There is life after divorce. But you also have to understand that as your pastor, I'm called by God to preach the whole counsel of God's Word. And if you've been through the pain of a divorce, then surely you don't want your children to go through that pain or anybody else. And so surely you would want me to preach these things. Divorce is heartbreaking. God doesn't want you to go through that pain. For those of you still married to your first spouse. But divorce is far too common across all age groups. Of couples who enter into a teenage marriage, and we've seen several here over the past few years, 32% will divorce before they reach their fifth anniversary. 22% between the ages of 20 to 24 will divorce within five years. 15% between 25 and 29 will also divorce within five years. 
And the, the stats from recent year indicate that after the age of 35, divorce begins to rise again at 19%. But it's getting worse now for folks who are older. There's even a term for this now. It's called gray divorce. You've got gray on your head. From 1990 to 2012, according to the Bowling Green University's National Center for Family and Marriage Research, the divorce rate for 55 to 64-year-olds more than doubled, and the rate of divorce for those 65 and older tripled. According to an April 2021 report released by the U.S. Census Department, 34.9% of all Americans who got divorced in 2020 were 55 or older. And that was more than twice the rate of any other age group. Sometimes a marriage has drifted apart. And the only reason they stay together is for the, the kids. Once the kids are raised, it'll be easier for us to part, part company. And that's why we see divorce rates with older folks now increasing. And all of a sudden, this house that once had energy in it with kids from two people that early on loved each other, now the kids are out of the house, there's an empty nest, and they sit across that table that seats eight, and they look at each other and they don't know who they're looking at. How did it get to that point? That back there, 30, 25, 30 years ago, they fell in love, had children together, and now I don't even know who you are. Somewhere along the line, they let go of their vows. And they became nothing more than domestic partners. Sadly, only 45.8% of children will reach adulthood with both of the parents in the home. Out of these, nearly half will see the breakup of a parent's second marriage. And 10% will see a third. It's been said that two generations ago, the children would ask their friends at school, what does your dad do for a living? And now they ask, are your parents even together? Why do marriages drift apart? I'm telling you this morning, it begins when we stop cleaving to one another. Amen. It's when we start placing other things and other people ahead of our spouse and our walk with God. It's when you have allowed space to enter in between. God's intent for marriage is to be until death do you part and to do so joyfully. Did you know God doesn't want you to endure marriage? He wants you to enjoy marriage. Marriage is, is, not, marriage is not supposed to be a curse. Proverbs 18.22, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Meet my wife, preacher. <laughs> By the grace of God, I've been married for 25 years now. And I would say our marriage is stronger now than it's ever been. And here's the thing about staying married longer, and, and those who have been married longer than I have, you understand, the more you stay married, the more of a person's fault you see. Early on, man, they could do no wrong. But the longer you have a relationship with somebody, and it goes for friendships too, the longer you're married, you see more and more of who they are. And you know what you did? You didn't realize it maybe at the time, but you married a sinner. And, and after all these years of being married to my wife, seeing more and more of her faults and her seeing more and more of mine 
how can I tell you today that I believe our marriage is better now than it's ever been? I want to give you the reason. And, And I want you to hear me well. We got married in June 1996. I was active duty Air Force. And then I got stationed to South Korea. I wouldn't say our marriage was falling apart. I wouldn't say it was on the rocks. We weren't really going to church. She would go every now and then. I would blame it on shift work. You know how guys are, right? I got an excuse. We got to Korea in 1998, and we, we were first introduced to an independent Baptist church. We both grew up Southern Baptist. And uh, we got into an independent Baptist church, and something was different. Some of you are like, this place is whack. I know. <laughs> they actually read their Bibles. What in the world? And um, listen, I want to tell you from experience what made the difference in our marriage was when there, back there in, in 98, when we got anchored in church and we both said, God is going to be first in our life. Did you hear what I said? I didn't even say God's going to be first in our marriage. God is going to be first in my life. God is going to be first in her life. And by us walking with God, we came to a better understanding of who we are, who God is, and what we need in order to have a good marriage. And I want to tell you, anybody that's in here, and I know you're here, anybody that's struggling in their marriage, you're no longer cleaving as you should. You've allowed space to enter in. You're going through a difficult time. I want to tell you, put God first. Anchor yourself into a good church. Get into the Word of God. You have got to stop looking at that other one and blaming them for everything. And you have got to decide, I am going to walk with the Lord. And in time, you'll be able to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Okay, it will get to that point. But I'm trying to tell you, early on when you have those issues, you better learn to walk with God, and you better learn to walk with God. And that's the only way it's going to start working out for you again. And so make time for your marriage. Make time. I know you know what it means to have your time demanded from other people. Maybe you got kids in the house. Moms are like, Dad's home, boom. Dads, you got to work late, or whatever the case is. Maybe mom and dad are both working because Rapid City's nuts and house prices are way up here and pays way down here. Whatever the case is, listen, I know you understand what it's like to have your time demanded of you, but I want to tell you this morning, you've got to make time for your marriage. You've got to prioritize it. You've got to cleave. Because what's going to happen is you're going to allow that job, you're going to allow those kids to begin to drive a wedge in between you, and about 20 years from now, you're going to look at each other and go, Who are you? Make time. Make it a priority. Share life together. Make God a priority and make your marriage a priority. And I want to tell you, simply put, the problem in most marriages comes, comes down to this. Both are not putting God first. Both are not putting your spouse above all other earthly interests and people. What, I can't never go out with the guys anymore? That's between you and her. But I know this, when I got engaged to my wife, I cut all that nonsense out. When I was a child, I thought as a child, I spake as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. That's what the Apostle Paul said. I'm just trying to help you this morning. Put God first, then put your spouse first upon this earth, above all other people, and it's really that simple. 
So how's your marriage this morning? Cleave to her and become one flesh. Let's pray.